Okay, wait, why don't you like mezcal? Uh, uh, because I think it tastes like a Band-Aid. A Band-Aid? I'm drinking it right now. Ew, no. I, you know what? A lot of people love it. And if you like it, I love it. But I don't know if it's for me. I will say that it does taste medicinal. Yes, exactly. But what it, <laughs> I wouldn't like, say Band-Aid, but I would say like chloroseptic or something. Yes, it's like something that's going to make my mouth numb, you know? Yeah, mine is. Oh, well, there you my go. My faces. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Mescal, not for me. Miss gal. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. Where are you? I know. I, I can't see Jake, you either. Jake, hello? Uh, hello? Follow my voice. Oh, my God. <laughs> sing for me. Ah. Oh, God. No, no, no. Don't sing for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just wading my way through the fog here to find you. I know. Well, so what's new with you? nothing <laughs> <laughs> same here just the usual bullshit yeah. but you know what that's okay there doesn't have to be anything new with us because all we ever need in life is news about horror nudes about horror Woo! Oh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no horror news silly so why don't you let us know let us know like what is on the horizon Of course, I'm glad that you said it that way because we got some new release dates for some movies that are highly anticipated, including Alex Garland's new film, Men, which will be released on May 20th. That movie looks so crazy. Just the trailer. That that first like teaser trailer was really scary when she's just like in that tunnel and she's like yes who are you whatever and then it just like a shadowy man just starts or the figure her. outside that house yeah. it's like dark yeah well, it's weird like in the new trailer that came out like it's it you know it's miss jesse buckley but also rory kinnear who seems to be playing every man in the movie which is very strange but very interesting strange. a choice yeah. yeah i wonder how that will play out I bet it's like some like metaphor for all men are the same. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, you're right. right. You know, there's going to be some great commentary in it because it's Alex Garland. Yeah. If you haven't listened to our Annihilation episode about that masterpiece by Alex Garland, go back and listen to that. Yes, you should. I think A24 is releasing that. Uh, yeah, A24. Yes, A24 has been on fire because they are also having the next highly anticipated slasher aside from x of course which is bodies 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 yes now you kind of read something about how like what the movie kind of entailed right like something about like clueless yeah they say it's like sort of a mix of like clueless and a slasher movie and just like a really fun amalgamation of all the things that you and i love so i I know i think it's i think we're gonna love it really really fun like yes because you know it's bringing back 
our favorites, which is just like a, a group of girls getting cut the fuck up, but also probably being <laughs> bitchy and funny. And uh, you know, yes. that's what we love the most. We need like a, a new sorority row or a new, you know, black Christmas. Exactly. And there's some great talent in it. Oh yeah. Sabala Stember. She's so fantastic. That's the only one that we know by name. <laughs> I, I guess so. I guess so. Oh, Maria Bakalova. Hello. Hello. The Oscar nominee, Maria Bakalova for Borat, the second one. <laughs> oh yes, yes, yes. I read about her, but I've never seen Borat or its sequel. Oh my God. You're missing out because they are hilarious. Okay. And she, she is in it in the second one and she was so good in it she got an Oscar nomination for That's a insane. Borat film for Borat yes and so Miss Maria Bakalova not even Borat Borat 2 yeah Borat 2 which is honestly just as good oh and uh hello Miss Thing Miss Lee Pace oh, hello. who's that Lee Pace he's like been in like everything for like ever oh okay he's 6'5 and went to Juilliard no he's so hot he's like BFS with Sarah Michelle Gellar they are always talking about each other on social media yes 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 so probably be like okay a teacher or something you know yes a a principal a dean I don't know does it take place at a college I just assume it does um I don't know (laughs) are they high schoolers are they college girls I don't know they're probably in college I hope college too old yeah they're too old But no, you know what? Their outfits were screaming Generation Z. So I think they might be... Well, Generation Z is in college, aren't they? I don't... Yeah, Gen Z. We're Gen Z. No, we're not. Gen X. Wait, no, we're Gen... What are we? We are not Generation X either. (laughs) We're millennials. We're Generation Y. Oh, that's what it is. I knew it was one of those generations. (laughs) I just didn't think of the right one. (laughs) Jake just forgot he was a millennial. I didn't forget I was a millennial, but I thought... I forgot which gen we belong (laughs) to. I'm Gen Garner. (laughs) (laughs) I am Jennifer Lopez. Let's Thank you very much. Out. Yeah, uh, I'm Generation Lopez. <laughs> well, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies will be released on August 5th. Something else that will be released in the summer, aside from Jordan Peele's Nope, which again is highly anticipated. Everyone's nope. everyone's like literally counting down the days until July, whatever day it's supposed to come out. <laughs> no, obviously not us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not counting down, but I'm excited. Yeah. Um, also, in the summer will be Ethan Hawke in The Black Phone. Which where did that movie go? Literally, it was supposed to come out in February, and then they pushed it. I thought to this month, and so I looked it up again because I was like, wasn't that supposed to come out? And then it's a June 24th. So lots of release dates there. Um, on top of it all, we also have Scream Six coming in March 31st, 2023. <laughs> Just had to throw that in there. Yeah. But that was actually a good segue into the Scream Blu-ray release Yay! 2022. As we're talking about it, it actually just came out yesterday, and I went to Target to get my copy. I didn't know if I was going to get the 4K or the Blu-ray. I hadn't made up my mind, but I didn't have much of a choice because the DVD, the Blu-ray, and the 4K were all sold out at the Target that I went to. Whoa! Scream was wiped clean. And then I went to Walmart, and the 4K was sold out completely. The DVD had one left, and there were only two more Blu-rays. Dang. Did you say this movie was on DVD? Yes, they still make DVDs. That is crazy. I had no idea. You would think with, like, 4K, Blu-ray, and digital that DVD would be something of the past, but... It's definitely definitely heading that way, I think. Yes. Speaking of new releases, Morbius came out 
to the worst reviews. Embarrassing, but honestly not shocking. The trailer didn't look good. The Sony Marvel Universe is not it. Between the last few X-Men movies, which are horrible, uh, you know, Venom, which is nothing to write home about. Did anybody even see Venom 2? Do you know that came out? It did. And now Morbius is a mess? Like, just like leave it alone at this point. Like, they were like, how did Jared Leto manage to be in the worst DC movie and the worst Marvel movie? I know, shit. Like, <laughs> What do you think about these photos that have been leaking of Nicolas Cage as Dracula? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Honestly, I think it's kind of funny. I'm assuming that the movie is funny. Renfield? I hear it's a comedy. Yeah, it's called Renfield, Renfield. with Nicholas yeah. Holt and... I mean, but yeah, from what I read, it looks like a comedy. So if it's a comedic movie about a comedic Dracula, I think he looks fine. He looks kind of funny. He looks like a like an 80s version of a vampire monster squad. Speaking of corny, the Munsters, bitch. I know oh. you had a lot to say about this the other day. So we've been following the Munsters throughout the show. <laughs> yeah. But now Rob Zombie was like my view through the fucking teleprompter of the, his screen of what's being filmed for the Munsters. And it's them just standing there kind of taking a rest in between takes <laughs> because they're exhausted apparently. Yeah, from all the acting they're doing. <laughs> 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 Jerry Moon's like, I really have to get in the headspace for this character. I gotta yeah. relax. Yes. Um, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, they're standing there, and you kind of get a glimpse of the set, the lighting design, the cinematography. There's like this weird angle, black lights, <laughs> Halloween decorations. Like, what are we thinking? Very Rob Zombie. It's like literally everything you would think of a Rob Zombie movie, but probably just without the f bombs and the the tits. It looks like House of a Thousand Corpses. That like. The black light, the angles, like the angles are very Rob Zombie. But he said the movie was going to be rated PG. What? Like, what? How? Rob Zombie, PG director. I mean, maybe just because we haven't seen it before, but I'm not 100% convinced that Rob Zombie can like deliver heartwarming. However, if he's delivering to the children's imagination, it might work. Because he does have a very specific point of view that sometimes is a little cartoonish. And so maybe it might work. I hope it's good. I'm hoping it's good. I really am. I want it to be good. You know what? Whether it's good or not, we know one thing for sure. It's going to be tacky. (laughs) um, In further news, the Resident Evil TV series is coming out July 14th on Netflix. I'm not excited for it. I've never even watched any of the movies. Oh, the movies are fun. But (laughs) one show I might consider watching is AMC's Interview with the Vampire, which is getting all these new images and people are excited for it. But uh, Anne Rice would be so happy, but now she's just rolling around in her grave. Oh my God. Wondering why they didn't make these things when she was alive so she could make more money. Yeah, it's exactly (laughs) what she's thinking probably. (laughs) I know she is. The Mayfair Witches is also being adapted by AMC as a TV show starring Alexandra Daddario, a favorite over here at Fear the Chunk Queers. Yes, no, you're right. <laughs> Are they going to do like a companion series like they kind of go at the same time? That'd I think fun. they might cross over at some point because oh the God. fact that Interview with the Vampire is done, set to release like later this year yeah. and Mayfair Witches is being announced, there has to be some sort of plan 
to bring the two together. Cute. Now, I don't think you've heard about this, but another project that's getting turned into a TV show is It on HBO Max. What? Andy Muschietti is expanding his It universe into a TV series. But I hear it's supposed to go back, back, back rolls. (laughs) <laughs> to the day, <laughs> to the day where I, I mean I don't know. I the think day it's that Pennywise Penny. arrives. No, it's before Pennywise. How it took the shape of Pennywise, I think, uh. is the direction that they're going. So I don't know. I don't know if I'm excited for it or not. It might be boring. Um, I'll tune in. I guess to finish off our new segment, I just wanted to announce that Bill Skarsgård will be playing yes. Eric Draven in the Crow reboot. How do you feel about it? I'm excited. I think he looks great in clown makeup. So it's like uh, it's like it's like the hot clown that he wasn't allowed to play in it. He had like the ugly clown, but now we get to see the hot clown. I think he might be great, honestly. I think he might be good. So whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> FKA Twigs was also announced to be in this new Crow adaptation, and I, something tells me she's our new Shelley. Uh, yeah, she is. She's the wife. It's already on IMDb. That's what she's listed under. Oh, good. Okay. So she's not going to be speaking. She's just going to be in flashback. <laughs> pole dancing. Pole dancing in a flashback. Maybe doing some yeah. brujeria or some shit. Look how, look outside your window. Look how dark it got. I know. You know what that means? It's what? time for the Midnight Hour radio station extravaganza. FTTQ. The FTTQ radio station is about to commence. Yes. All right, everybody. Get your nightgowns on and your dicks out. Just <laughs> so let's get into this week's movie. It's The Fog. Yes, a classic. We have not done a classic in a minute, right? Yes. I'm kind of excited to do this because I had never seen this. I think you have watched it by chance and yeah, somehow... I- I think I just wanted to, to watch it. I was just like, The Fog, everybody talks about it, and I've never seen it. And so this was a couple months ago now I watched it. Yeah. And I liked it. And I was like, oh, this is a good movie. Yeah, I think that Jake and I, having started Fear the Talking Queers, have been able to expand beyond what we're comfortable with in horror yeah. to like movies that came out way before we were born. <laughs> I know. <laughs> if you do notice, like the movies that we do, it's like late '80s, but on. You know, we don't yes, really we don't early really, 2000s. Yeah, early 2000s, <laughs> like '90s to early 2000s to now is like our jam, obviously. Yeah. Everything before that, old and boring. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but as reliable reviewers of horror movies, we have to know what we're talking about when it comes to references of the past. Yeah. So let's bounce back to the 80s. <laughs> yes, 1980 to be correct. It, and this is um, a spooky dookie ghost story. Like, how fun is that? This movie is so, like, ghosty, but not in, like, the way we think of ghosts post-2000. It's like a, a trite-and-true ghost story, like the campfire yes. oogie-boogie kind of ghost story, which I think is fabulous. It gives me every fraction of a ghost, of, like a perfect ghost movie. Yeah. Like, it's somewhere in this movie. Sprinkle everything, all the great ideas are just sprinkled throughout this entire movie. Absolutely. And, of course, it is brought to us by the master John Carpenter, who... This is his follow-up 
to Halloween. He had a lot to follow up with. Uh, he had a lot to prove, I guess. But honestly, I think looking back on it, I think it probably is a worthy follow-up to something like Halloween. And different. It's a decent follow-up. It's almost a love letter or a reference to those classic ghost stories. And I think that um, doing something coming off of it, John Carpenter and Deborah Hill both coming fresh from Halloween and thinking, okay, what could be the next best thing? It's kind of like, okay, this could be something that's not trying to be reinvent the wheel. The wheel. <laughs> Excuse me. The wheel. But, yeah, the wheel. But, the wheel. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's enhancing it, giving it a new a breath of fresh air for the 80s, which I think it does very well. It Obviously, it's not as treasured as Halloween, but right. whatever. And actually, the original cut of this, John Carpenter was like, this movie sucks. And went back <laughs> and added more kills and more gore because every movie that came after Halloween pushed the envelope a little bit further and further and further. And then when it was John Carpenter's turn again, he's like, okay, well now I have to make this movie what the audience now expects post Halloween, which is crazy because Halloween had only come out two years prior. Yeah. I don't think it's as like explicit as say like uh, you know Friday the 13th movie when it comes to its gore and it's we're, it's sort of like easing us into that time. It's still like that mature elevated horror for the late 70s. It wasn't schlock like a Friday the 13th. It has style and taste. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't we just fucking get into it? Yeah, let's walk into the fog. Hi mateys. This is KAB Antonio Bay. Stevie Wayne here, beaming a signal across the sea. For the men of the seagrass, 15 miles out tonight, a warm hello. And keep a watch out for that fog bank heading in from the east. Now, in the meantime, relax with me while I play this song from the Coupe de Ville's, dedicated just to you. The Fog, released in 1980, written by John Carpenter and Deborah Hill, directed by John Carpenter. A quote from Edgar Allan Poe appears on the screen. Is all that we see or seem but a dream within a dream? Our film then begins on the night before the town of Antonio Bay's 100th year anniversary. A group of children seated around a campfire on a beach are entertained by a ghost story told by old Mr. Machen, played by John Hausman, the resident elderly fisherman at exactly the stroke of midnight. The story being told is indicative of the history of the town's formation. The story is of a small clipper ship that attempts to navigate through the thick fog by sailing towards a campfire light on the shore. However, the ship is wrecked and sunk into the waters of Antonio Bay. The legend is that when the fog rolls into Antonio Bay on the 21st of April at midnight, the crew will rise from the dead and search for the campfire light that led to their dark and icy death. Meanwhile, at Antonio Bay's old church, Father Malone, played by Hal Holbrook, finds the diary of his grandfather that mysteriously appears in the stone walls of the church. Antonio Bay is quiet at midnight, with only a few people awake and finishing up work. At the local grocery, a young man finishes his cleaning duties for the evening while the mirrors begin to shift and the bottles begin to shake. Around town, mysterious things begin to happen all over on their own, including a gas pump spilling all over the ground, several car alarms being triggered, and people's furniture moving all on its own. The happenings are underscored by the voice of Stevie Wayne, played by Adrian Barbeau, the local radio DJ who soothes the town to sleep with her velvet voice and jazz standards. 
At the same time, Nick Castle, played by Tom Atkins, drives down a country road and picks up a hitchhiker named Elizabeth, played by Jamie Lee Curtis, who claims to be on her way to Vancouver. How the fuck? How'd she make her way into this movie, too? She drove there. She hitchhiked. (laughs) (laughs) She hitchhiked. She did. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. From Pasadena. While the two drive towards town, the radio and headlights of the car start to fail as the windows of the truck are blown out. At the KAB Lighthouse on Spivey Point, Stevie chats with weatherman Dan Baxter, played by Charles Cyphers, who tells her that about 15 miles out in the water is a trawler boat called the Seagrass, and that a mysterious fog bank is about 25 miles out moving in their direction. Stevie lends out a friendly radio warning to the men of the Seagrass, who lounge on their boat, but they don't see any sign of fog. Suddenly, the fog bank moves at a supernatural speed. A mysterious ship then appears, and the seagrass is engulfed in fog, which destroys their power generator. As the large ship passes by, the men are brutally murdered by several ghosts wielding swords and hooks. The fog dissipates. This is great because in this opening campfire scene, Mr. Old Machin, he says (laughs) that this happened on the 21st of April. And when this episode is released, it will almost be the 21st of April. Oh my God. Did we even plan that? We really didn't. Absolutely not. No, I would have never even known that information before the movie started. Wait, what's that behind you? The ghost? (laughs) 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 Oh my gosh. No, yeah, so we... We open up on this like campfire. It's there. It's setting the mood that uh, this is a classic ghost story, which I love. Like, yes. do you remember? Did you ever tell campfire stories? I know. I don't think so. But my family are like huge, like conspiracy theorists, like post-apocalyptic, uh, you know, people. So like, kind of scary <laughs> stories always. <laughs> oh my god! I do remember going camping, and I think. One of my parents' friends told us a ghost story, but it had a, like, comedic ending. And so it wasn't like, it wasn't like a, and then all their old noses grow back. It was like, it was like, and the ghost said, dove soap. Or it was like something stupid. It was like a a dumb ending (laughs) to the story. And we thought it was hilarious, but like, it wasn't like a scary story. So this is exciting to me. This is like. Yes. It reminds me of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Yes. 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 Submitted for the approval of of the Midnight Society. I know. Man, we really want, we almost told ghost stories at the beginning of this episode, but we couldn't think of one fast enough. And so we'll have to do that one day. I am not in the right uh, mental capacity to like (laughs) tell a ghost story. It would be extremely inappropriate. (laughs) You, you inappropriate? (laughs) I love this Mr. Machin telling this ghost story. At first I was thinking, what is this old man doing with all these kids at midnight on the beach by himself? (laughs) I don't know about that. That's true. It's a little suspect, but um, it's because they're gearing up to celebrate the 100th year anniversary of their town, Antonio Bay, which I just love how that sounds, Antonio Bay. Antonio Bay. Yeah, ooh, I love it. And of course, like, we get that classic John Carpenter, Deborah Hill sort of cinematography. It's gloomy, it's glowing, it's shadowy, it's dark, you know, but it's being illuminated in interesting ways. And I, Antonio Bay looks great in this, and this movie looked very familiar to Andre when we were watching it. He was like, isn't that the town that we passed through to go on this excruciating hike? And I was like, uh, yeah, we went on a 10-mile hike at this coastline that this movie takes place in. It's Point Reyes. 
Yeah, it's like in Marin County. Yes, and the town that we had to drive through was called Inverness, and that's where this movie was filmed. Whoa! Oh my gosh. You know what? It kind of also looks like the town from Killer Clowns. (laughs) Oh, totally. Like brick buildings and... Yeah, just like a little bayside town. I don't know why. Like, I was watching, I was like, oh my god, Killer Clowns. It's probably not the same at all, but... It, it's similar. Yeah, it's a little different. Yeah, similar. Um, <laughs> and I think that what we're saying, like, as far as classic ghost stories, that's really what John Carpenter was going for. He was like, what do I do? Instead of pushing the boundaries with, you know, something like Michael Myers and Halloween, I'm going to go with a classic ghost story, but, like, inspired by Val Luton films and mm-hmm. um, go in that direction. Yeah, and, you know, this ghost story that we get, the ship is sort of sailing and there's like a campfire on on the shore that they're falling but there's they're they're blocked out by the fog they can't see and they're falling this light and then it crashes and this seems to be the extent of the story that's told to the children that are growing up in this town that'll eventually you know possibly tell this story to their children and yeah. um, you know there's something about it not being the whole story that um, is really interesting here. And I think that kind of sets up one of the main themes about this movie, you know, sort of, you know, bearing the sins of the past and everything. So, um, you know, and it's, and all that is done by telling the story completely differently. Nobody's going to question the past because they just accept it as truth. I think that's a really interesting way to start us off. At first I was kind of like, Hey, they're kind of giving away the whole movie up front, but I think it does serve a purpose, uh, you know, having this story being told to the children um, at the beginning. Yeah, I think it's brilliant. It's unfold and it un- and it unfolds even further as the movie goes on, and then we yeah. learn more about what it really is and what really happened. And it's smart. It's clever. Yeah, absolutely. One of the other things that I really love about this section is the score. I think the score is I mean so good, minimal. You know, not much going on, but just like that. The piano, just those few little piano chords that play, I think really yes. set the mood for this movie that it's like almost cold and dreary, sort of like being in fog, you know, being in, you know, like almost like dripping, like every chord on the piano feels like dripping wet. I can see what you mean. And there is a part in the score too that's like where it's like ding, 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 yeah. ding. That's very like of the '80s. Those synth scores, the oh, yeah. Halloween. I mean, it, like you, it feels very that. Yeah. Obviously, I think it might be one of John Carpenter's best. It's so good. Like I would listen yeah, to this. It is, and you know, it's even funny because even in the Halloween score, there are moments where I'm like, why does that sound like a bell on a ship? Like or like yeah. A, you know, those nautical like type bells. Yeah. I'm like, why does it sound like that? And it works perfectly here. I'm like, exactly. Oh, this is amazing. Yeah, this is where, where it belongs. He just honed in on that. So th- it's weird because there is also so much in this that I'm like, how have I never seen this movie with all of these horror legends yes. in it? Royalty. Oh, royalty. Royalty. And in this section, we're introduced to Adrian Barbeau as, uh, uh, as basically Stevie. if you're the talking queer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> She's what we took our inspiration from with our beautiful, <laughs> soothing voices. Yeah, she looks great in this. Oh, uh, I love this. I love Adrian uh, Barbo. She's like the OG Scream Queen. Like, I mean, aside from Miss Janet Lee, of course, it will come to you later, but... Yeah, I think she's the standout performer in this movie. I think Oh, that, totally. I think that she's great. I think this is a great vehicle for her. Um, 
Uh, and, you know, she was married to John Carpenter at the time. So she's pulling a little bit yeah. of a Sherry Moon. You've never seen Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island, have you? No. Oh, my God. You have to. So Adrian Barbeau is a <laughs> voice in it. And uh-huh. the movie is very much inspired by The Fog. And so it's, like, uh. exciting watching this, like, with her voice and, you know, seeing her and, like, knowing what her voice is, even though she has a French accent. Having her involvement in Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island, which was obviously very heavily influenced by The Fog. Um, I just and then think that's she's what, also I, in this. And yeah. She, yeah, so it's just, like, really fun. I'm, like, learning it backwards instead of, like, being excited about her involvement in Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island. Like, I'm like, oh, my God, <laughs> Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island is in The Fog. You know what I'm saying? Yes, 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 yes. You have to watch that movie. What is wrong with you? It's so good. Okay, I'll watch it. You know, I don't like cartoons. I know you don't, but I think you might find this one entertaining. All right. Okay, I'll give it a whirl. I know everybody (laughs) raves about it. I've never seen it. It's so good. (laughs) And and you'll be like, oh my God, this is obviously inspired by The Fog. Um, Okay, so Jamie Lee Curtis is also in this. Yeah. I mean, horror royalty to the max. And she is a hitchhiking uh, woman. Floozy. <laughs> Floozy. Yeah, Floozy <laughs> from Santa Barbara. Um, <laughs> from who's traveled up to Carmel. And now she's in Antonio Bay. And she hitchhikes her way into Nick Castle's heart, who is played by <laughs> Tom Atkins. Ugh, like, what? I Okay, what the fuck is it about Tom Atkins that is so appealing? And I think I can speak for our generation specifically. We're yeah. like, we do not understand the obsession with the generation before us and Tom Atkins. Yeah, what in the world? Like, I thought Halloween 3 was bad enough. And then this, I was like, oh my, oh. Oh, yes. you're, you're telling me that Jamie Lee Curtis is going to sleep with Tom Atkins? And honestly, any woman that he sleeps with in movies is hot. You need to tell me? Yes. Yes, they are. And I'm like, okay. If Jamie Lee Curtis was 17 in Halloween, in this she was like, what, 20? <laughs> yeah, so, ew. 19? And she's sleeping with this 50-year-old man? Like, come <laughs> on. And he looks even less appealing without his iconic mustache. So I'm yeah. like, I don't think... I know that he's an icon, I just don't get it. I know we, have, <laughs> we haven't gotten to the point where they slept together yet, but it, it's always so surprising to me. Every time I'm like, oh, like... I'm like, what is she doing spending the night at his house? And I'm like, she doesn't have a top on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they like fully banged. Which I'm like, that's... I mean, I guess she's like a free-spirited character, right? She's hitchhiking. I mean, I think it's so interesting, though, that the choice was to have her sleep with him. They didn't seem like they had much sexual chemistry. Honestly, maybe that was her... Maybe that was something they agreed on when she got in the car. We just didn't see it. I mean, maybe. Like, oh, fuck you if you give me a ride to <laughs> fucking Vancouver. <laughs> oh, God, I know. Ew. He's like, all right. Yeah, so the crazy things start happening around town. And honestly, I do like this as a setup for this movie. Me too. Where it's like the fog is rolling in. And it's not even there in the town yet. But crazy things are happening. Glass is shattering out of cars and clocks. Dogs are barking. Like, there's some shit Did, happening. Are we supposed to be assuming that, like, we, like, are they doing that? Like, are the pirate ghosts doing this? Or is this just things that are happening? Like, are they, like, invisible? And they're just, like, causing... They're just ruckus? honking the horns. One, yeah. two, three. Like, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Like, look what I'm going to do. I'm going to take this gas pump and throw it on the ground. Diabolical. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't know that it makes total sense, but I think it's really cool. Yeah, I do like it too. And it and it's really eerie, especially like that the grocery store scene when he's like in there and you know, yeah. things start shaking. You're like, what's happening? Something's oh my coming. God. Well, they're in California. It could be an earthquake. Oh, true, 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 true. You know, we meet Miss Adrian Barbo's character, Stevie. She's this, you know, uh, a, a late night DJ. Well, she's there all day, I guess. But she just ha- she puts on her little sexy voice and she talks to the town. And, and her character seems to, you know, I guess have moved from the big city of Chicago and for maybe a quieter life. Um, she's a kid who we have no idea who the father is. And so she's like a single mom, but she works a lot. She sort of is, plays an interesting role because she doesn't interact with pretty much any other character except for one scene with the little boy. And so her job in this whole film is to, you know, command the screen on her own, which I think is so awesome. And her character serves as this like lookout in this beautiful lighthouse. Yeah, it's really smart writing because she's in the lighthouse and the lighthouse sort of serves as like, you know, a guiding light for ships and whatnot. And so she's sort of the guardian angel of the town, sort of helping them through this whole ordeal. And so I think it's really cool to place her in something and then also give her the characteristics of the place she's in. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, uh, I read something online. I can't take credit for this one, but that, you know, it's like one of the good things or one of the most prominent themes of this film is like storytelling. And we kind of, I kind of talked about it at the beginning with the ghost stories, but every character seems to have some sort of story that they're telling and you know just her being part of, you know, part of a radio personality um, yeah. you know that's sort of her, not necessarily specifically a story story but you know um, communicating you know through her voice uh, that's sort of her her way of storytelling and she she's guiding the story she's helping the story uh, have a happy ending almost by being yes. that person that's trying to save everybody. Okay, the story I forgot to mention is a true story. The ghost, the whole ghost story that is he it tells really is true. Yes, it's based on a true story in California, of course. In the 1700s, a ship carrying gold was misled by the guiding light of a fire and ended up crashing into rocks somewhere down in the Santa Barbara coastline. Dang. And they and then the ship was robbed by this group of people that knew this ship was coming and wanted to rob it. So they built the campfire, the boat crashed, and they ransacked the ship and took the gold. Dang. California history. This is America. <laughs> that's true. That's true. So then we get this fantastic scene where we first meet our villains, right? It's a scene that happens on the seagrass. He looks out the window and sees like this blue ass fog coming, like glowing blue fog. It looks dope. Yeah, it does. And it's coming towards them quickly. And then it swallows them, right? Like they get swallowed in the fog. And then it tur- goes like full Pirates of the Caribbean. There's like a fucking <laughs> big ass ship that comes out, which I think is, looks amazing and kind of scary. Ghost ship. Yeah. yeah ghost this- ships are kind of scary. I think this is the scariest part of the movie. I think that even the figures in the fog, once they get onto the ship, they look great. The whole like murder, like you can kind of see it, but not really leaves a lot up to the imagination. Yeah. So I think that is what makes this sort of scary. Yeah. And they use like these like giant ass hooks 
and swords. Like, it's like a clever way to, like, kind of hint that they're pirates. And with the hooks, like, it's like Captain Hook, of course. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes, the ultimate inspo, Miss Captain Hook. But definitely has, like, some elements of slasher when when they're killed, um, which I think is Oh, awesome. yeah. It feels like Halloween. Anytime a yeah. kill happens in this, it feels like Halloween. Yeah. And I like that one where it's, like, the, I think it was, like, the last of the three, where it's, like, really shadowy. And, like, the, then the shadow is, like, getting smaller and smaller. And then we, he just kind of gets attacked from behind. I thought that one was really good. And, you know, it's kind of funny because this does establish this movie as sort of, like, a genre bending yeah. movie because it seems it feels like a slasher but also feels supernatural as far as ghosts but it also feels zombie like yeah. there's a lot going on um, yeah, that yeah. I think touches on different tastes throughout the horror community no absolutely yeah and I think that it's just indicative of where John Carpenter's head probably was coming off of Halloween and what people yeah. wanted to see from him so it's like he changed, he changed it up enough to where it wasn't, you know, a, a straight-up slasher, but he was still able to use what he had, you know, learned from Halloween and incorporate it into this one. I think it works really well. I think the deaths are pretty awesome. Do you know this movie originally was intended to be PG? <laughs> That's insane. And then they got rated R. Yeah. Like, oh. Uh, okay. All right. Well, maybe we should add some more blood and kills and <laughs> yeah might as well i know he was trying to limit himself and i think that's when he watched it and was like but when he watched it back he changed the score he added scenes yeah. he did all kinds of things to give this movie a makeover and i think it worked like wow this movie is really underwhelming and they both thought that deborah hill and john carpenter both were like oh um i don't like it <laughs> can you imagine putting all that work into a film and then being like uh, yeah not my best back to the drawing board yeah all right well why don't we keep going at the radio station stevie receives another call from dan o'bannon it's dan o'bannon not dan baxter i know i messed it up i messed it up when i typed this i know and so yeah so dan o'bannon is the weatherman dick baxter comes later the dick comes later <laughs> Dan O'Bannon tells her that the fog bank is moving in the opposite direction of her report, which confuses her as it is moving against the wind. Elizabeth and Nick lay in Nick's bed after making love. <laughs> I didn't know how else to put it, but I was like, I feel like that's like the most 80s way to put, put this. Making yes. love. After some pillow talk, a knock is heard at the door with the silhouette of a man engulfed in fog standing outside the frosted glass door. The knocking gets louder as we see the figure is using a large hook to knock. As Nick attempts to open the door, the glass on his grandfather clock shatters and the figure at the door disappears. The next morning, a young boy named Andy Wayne, played by Ty Mitchell, runs along the beach and discovers a plank of wood with the word Dane inscripted in it. Andy brings the wood to his mother Stevie and claims that before it was the plank of wood, it was a gold coin. Nick and Elizabeth go to the docks where Nick is concerned that the seagrass has not returned to shore. Elizabeth decides to stay a while longer with Nick. Meanwhile, the organizer for the centennial celebration, Kathy, played by Janet Lee, and her assistant Sandy, played by Nancy Loomis, frantically prepare for the event. She's worried that her husband never returned from the seagrass, and she's alerted the Coast Guard. Stevie is also surprised to hear on the radio that the seagrass has not returned to shore. Nick and Elizabeth board the seagrass where they find the crew is missing. Kathy and Sandy visit Father Malone to discuss renovating the local cemetery. Father Malone startles Kathy and insists on showing her his findings. 
He reads from his grandfather's journal about confronting a mysterious man named Blake. The diary reveals a dark secret unknown to the current inhabitants where, in 1880, six of the founders of Antonio Bay, including Malone's grandfather, deliberately sank and plundered the Elizabeth Dane, a clipper ship owned by Blake, a wealthy man with leprosy who wanted to establish a colony near Antonio Bay. Ooh, girl! <laughs> That was a long ass sentence and you so nailed sweet. it. Thank you. Are you have a professional? <laughs> the six conspirators lit a fire on the beach near treacherous rocks, and the crew of the clipper, deceived by the false beacon, crashed into them. Everyone aboard the ship perished. The six conspirators were motivated both by greed and disgust at the notion of having a leper colony nearby. Antonio Bay and its church were then founded with the gold plundered from the ship. They come to the realization that their celebration is honoring murderers. That's anchor.fm. <laughs> F is in fear, M is in murder. Simultaneously, Nick and Elizabeth wait for the Coast Guard on the seagrass, which has been left in disarray. Elizabeth apologizes and claims she's bad luck. Nick assures her that it's not her and that mysterious things have happened in the past. Suddenly, a cabinet begins to open on its own, causing the eyeless corpse of a seagrass crew member, Dick Baxter, to fall on Elizabeth, who screams in horror. Sick. Hold on. (laughs) I have to tell you, somebody that was introduced in the first section, but we didn't mention until here, was Nancy Loomis, who plays Sandy. Um, she was introduced in the beginning and she's like, weird things are happening around <laughs> her house. But as soon as she turned the corner and I saw the silhouette of her, of her body, hair. I was like, oh. that's Nancy Loomis. Yes. Yeah. No, her hair was even up. And I was like, the way she's just shuffling along with an oversized shirt. Like, it's <laughs> the same. She basically shuffled her way over from Halloween yeah, <laughs> to this, this movie. movie. Yeah. She's like wearing the same costume as Annie. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly love it. Again, she's horror royalty. Yeah, she and she's she's funny in this movie. She's like this like I would say droll. Is that a word? She's like uh, this droll. Like, uh, she's like a sh- what's the word? She I'm has a of? very dry delivery. Dry, like she's, yeah, like a dry. Yeah, sense she's very of humor. dry, cynical. Like, wow, who does that sound to like? To the point. <laughs> Yeah, she's Annie. literally the same character as Annie. <laughs> I think she um, is. Yeah, she survived. She survived. She's even like this in Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Like, yeah. she's like this in all the movies that I've ever seen her in. But I like it. Oh, I absolutely love her in this. And her, the guy who plays her father, of course, Charles Cyphers, who was it also in Halloween Kills, 100 yeah. years old. Yeah. Um, he, he was it. He's in this too. This movie is just full of iconic Yeah, people from the Carpenter universe, which is very exciting to see. Yeah, I I, watching this movie it makes me excited because I'm like, this is so fun. This is like the cast of Halloween just in a different movie. Like they're like a (laughs) like an acting troupe, you know. So uh, this is where Elizabeth and Nick make love, which is disgusting. Like I said, I was like, it's the eightiest eightiesest way to say I think what just happened between those two. People don't make love anymore, right? Not in 2022. No. No. People just fuck. People fuck (laughs) or they, like, have sex. Oh, honestly, I wrote in my notes, why is Tom Atkins always fucking young girls in movies? Yeah. (laughs) What in the hell? It's very bizarre. But whatever. 
It is what it is. Yeah. He's, he's like the Michael Douglas of the 80s. Oh, yes. Exactly that. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, like what? Or, it, or like mm-hmm. Willem Dafoe. Or like, you know, these people are like, why are they fucking all these hot girls? In what world? I know. In what world are you living in where these men would get laid by these hot <laughs> actresses? Yeah, exactly. Come on. So whatever. So I guess they fuck for some reason. And yeah. Um, and creepy things keep happening to them. I mean, first yeah. it was his windows blowing out of his truck. Now his grandfather clock is shattered and there's a mysterious silhouette knocking at his door. Yeah, at what point... Are, I'm surprised they're not, like, more freaked out by this. I would be so... My brain... I wouldn't be able to move on if all of the windows in my car just exploded. I know. And they're like, you know what? Let's call it a night and go fuck in my bed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, not a big deal. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. That is very bizarre for every single one of your windows in your car to just explode. Well, that also happens with Stevie when she's talking to Dick O'Bannon. Or, oh, see, here I go. Oh, so here we go. Dan here. O'Bannon. Yeah, Dan O'Bannon. Um, <laughs> when he's talking and she's like, she sees the fog glowing and she's like, okay, Dan, I'll talk to you later. And hangs up entranced by the fog. I'm like, why wouldn't she tell him while she's on the phone that the fog is weird because it's glowing? I know. What would you think, though? Like, it's, like, radioactive fog? Like, or I'd be like, I'm pretty sure I just saw it glowing. Like, I don't <laughs> know. Yeah, toxic. Yeah. <laughs> it's not fog. It's, it's toxic fumes. Yeah, it's fucking, yeah, it's like a, a gas <laughs> leak or something. From an island offshore. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what I, I don't would know think. what I would think. But I think I would say something. Oh, I mean, yeah, that's fair. Like, oh, yeah, this doesn't look right. It's very beautiful. Enchanting. Yeah. Um, all of this chaos that's ensuing over the town it leads to my favorite line which is delivered by Nancy Loomis who plays Sandy of course <laughs> where she said like I don't know she says this town has been around for a hundred years and in one night it all goes to shit or, or where she say it all falls apart the place falls apart <laughs> yeah she's so, it goes to shit. she's so funny yeah I, I love her interactions with like what's interesting about this movie is that there are like several storylines going on we're like following. Oh yeah, that's like these characters all end up coming together at the end, kind of. But we're kind of just watching three separate storylines happening within this town, you know. Yeah. And so, because so we're watching Miss, you know, Stevie up there in the lighthouse and her radio thing. Then we have um, Nick and Elizabeth doing their thing, and then we have randomly we have Kathy and Sandy. Uh, <laughs> or these, they're kind of like comic reliefs, I think, because you know Kathy's incredibly high strung and kind of neurotic, and yeah. then. And then Sandy is her very dry, uh, assistant. sarcastic assistant. And they, they have a really good rapport. And they kind of uh, work well off of each other. I love how I love she like, she'll like call Sandy annoying. Sometimes you're annoying. Sometimes you're annoying. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Something like that. We'll have yeah. to watch the movie a few more times before we can quote it. I love watching Janet Lee. Just ah, she's yes. so graceful and like she's really the original scream queen. Yeah, she reminds me. She reminds me of a of a Real Housewife in this. Like just oh like, yeah, setting up an a, a, yes a, a fucking random ass fucking event. Yeah, some sort of charity event, and they always get like crazy <laughs> and, and like. I know she's really funny in this, um, and so they're they're a lot of fun to watch, and I like their uh, their characters. Yes, we also kind of have a different storyline with um, Father Malone, who has oh, yeah. found a journal by happenstance in the walls of the church. Um, yeah, where well, he... but it's like it seems like it was like kind of 
brought to him like that whole that stone falls out and he's like oh and then like the thing yes. is there like, it's like the so, exorcist it's like they were like i wonder if like the ghosts they're like we need to guide them in order to get our gold back yeah let's have them figure out our story before we show up to the party yeah i'm not <laughs> gonna tell them because that's no fun so i'm gonna have them figure it out on their own <laughs> i have a question am i wrong no i'm not I'm not wrong. Father Malone's grandfather was a priest also, right? Yes. Yes, yes. His grandfather was also a priest. There are a long line of priests. Priests only exist in the Catholic religion. Yeah, but they don't fuck. They don't have babies. Exactly. How could he be the the grandson of a priest? Maybe he... That doesn't make sense. Maybe he converted later in life. Maybe he had the kid. Um, maybe is after that he crashed that, that ship. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So maybe I think you can. Yeah, I think you can. If you already have kids, yourself. can you like become a priest? No, if there are have... certain rules one must abide by in order <laughs> to successfully become a priest. And one of them is you can't have kids. We're always correcting religious ideas in movies uh, yeah. over here on this show. But I think just being a cradle Catholic and growing up in that, I'm like, there was no way that that could have been. And they, he couldn't have already existed because I don't think you can do that. I think you have to be somewhat pure. I don't think they need to know if you've had sex, but I think they need to know if you had kids. Huh. Maybe the rules were different in the 1700s. I don't know. I wanna... Or 1800s. Can you be a priest according to Quora? Oh, that's interesting. Some person says that it's a, it's possible, but you have to support the child until they're at least eighteen before you can become a priest. Oh, okay. I don't. I, I mean, guess that makes sense. I don't know. I just feel like, like people turn like to priesthood like early on in their lives. Yeah. Like, Who becomes not a- old enough to have an eighteen-year-old? I know that is weird. Yeah. So that is kind of interesting. Uh, a continuity error, maybe. Well, he reads the grandfather's journal and finds out this story. And first of all, when he comes out of the shadows, and oh my god, and startles and, her and finds Kathy. Yeah, Andre goes, "Why would he? Why did he do that? Out like that?" Oh. I said, "Because it's a horror movie." <laughs> <laughs> Hello. I know. Wait, hold on. Okay, now I'm going back to this priest thing. We have to. I mean, obviously, he's not a good person. He's not a good priest if he goes and kills all these people and steals their gold. No. So I wouldn't put it past them to also fuck. Have a kid. Yeah, have a child. Or oh, sorry, make love. Make love. <laughs> <laughs> make love and produce children. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably not. If he was tempted by greed, he was definitely tempted by sex. Are you yeah, kidding me? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Sex before money, honey. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, so he... Basically, this is where we get, like, the full mythology, right? Where we expand yeah. on, on Mr. Matchin's story, and we get this whole... We get the town truth. history. We get the truth. I like that they waited exactly 100 years before reappearing. <laughs> yes. They're like... They were like, waiting. you know what? Yeah. It's like it's like a Freddy Krueger. Like the kids have no idea yeah. what happened, but he's gonna kill them anyway. Yeah, let me punish these people <laughs> who have absolutely no idea about what happened in the past. They deserve it. Yeah. 
Something I did think about, though, which is kind of what we said where I was like, this is America, is how this could be a commentary on, like, corrupt America. And it is. So For I sure. read on sci-fi.com an article by Charlie Brigden. I just wanted to credit him so that he didn't think this was an original idea. Um, I felt very smart reading an article. Um, but <laughs> basically, John... Carpenter compared the story to America's bloody history, especially its founding being really horrific and then sort of getting this glossy makeover as Thanksgiving. And so he kind of said that's kind of what America tends to do. So this is kind of like one of those stories. Oh, 100%. Exactly. It's about bearing the sins of the past and, you know, playing this game of telephone to where the story no longer resembles what it actually was. And um, I yes. think, and I think that um, there's something really amazing about just the idea of the fog in general being this this thing that can come in and blinds you, makes you unable to see, which corresponds with the story. It's about putting a fog over the past to where we, where the truth is not seen at all. It's just covered up in motherfucking fog. And so I thought, Ooh. I thought that that's a great connection right there. Oh, it's like uh, oh yes, the, the fog. Yes, the fog is a metaphor for for covering up the past. Oh my god, this movie is so smart. See, it's little things like that that you come to realize, or you know, yeah. you find out from someone else, and then you watch it back, and you're like, wow, yeah. compelling stuff, compelling shit. <laughs> You know, masked as lowbrow entertainment when it is in fact highbrow. <laughs> oh, very highbrow. This is this is what everyone thinks they're doing with these new Babadook and yeah. Hereditary and The um, Witch, The Vivitch, Midsommar. Yeah. Everyone, oh yeah, yeah, no, 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 The Fog by John Carpenter. <laughs> like, bitch, do your is, research. Is the smart one. Yeah. The smart, yeah, the smart one. No, yeah. So <laughs> I think you're absolutely right. I think your article nailed it. Um, it is about covering up the sins of the past. Yes. Okay, wait a minute. Back to Stevie being in this lighthouse. Mm-hmm. Um, I would never, ever in a million years work anywhere where I had to climb down that many stairs. Bitch, there are three. That lighthouse is real. It's in Point Reyes and it has 313 stairs to get to yeah. the fucking entrance. What I was thinking was like, after a long day of work, I was like, what is her her trek back to her car like? Probably horrific. Climbing back up there in the middle of the night? <laughs> yeah, what the hell? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I would slip and fall to my death. <laughs> yeah, I would have to take breaks every 10 <laughs> fucking stairs. I'd be like, if I'm lucky, I can break my knee and get workers' comp. (laughs) (laughs) Except for she works literally alone with not a single other person. (laughs) She owns the lighthouse. She owns it. She owns the radio station. Have you ever watched the remake? I have not. I've been tempted, but I'm scared. Scared that it's going to be embarrassing. (laughs) The Fog 2005 has a 4% (laughs) on Rotten Tomatoes. So that sounds pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> but Selma Blair plays Stevie. I know. Oh, so so then we have Nick and Elizabeth. They're bonding, telling each other stories. He's telling her stories. Like she like she's been telling stories throughout this, you know, their time together about her her trips. You know, she he's the thirteenth uh, man who has given her a ride. 
Well, she seems to be up to no good because he was like, she was like, I've never hitchhiked before. And then he was, she yeah. says something and then he goes, I thought you said you never hitchhiked before. And she goes, oh, uh, oh no, I have, but not before this trip. So you're actually my 13th driver. I'm like, yeah, like, um, what, like, what is she so like? What is it? What is she playing here? Like, what is her angle? And then she's like, are you weird? And he was all, yes, I'm weird. She's like, thank God. Every- the last people are so boring. She's like kind of a strange person. She's a strange person. And I think that they just wanted to establish that sort of off-putting dialogue so that it made sense later <laughs> when they made love. <laughs> like she's attracted to weirdos. So yeah. Okay. Ex- exactly. Got it. Got it. Got it. But here they are on the seagrass. They make it to the ship, which is completely abandoned. Like where are the bodies at? And um, I guess... Nick has something to do with the ships because he's like I was just on the ship two days ago and it was completely clean and now it's a disaster and everybody's missing so which I think is a really interesting like thing for the ghosts to do to make it look like they were in a shipwreck even though the ship isn't wrecked they they staged it yeah I want to see that scene yeah exactly oh my god like in the closet and then I'm gonna come like I'm gonna be invisible I'm gonna pull the little lever and all the shit's gonna fall out and then his dead body's gonna fall on her. That's what I would do as a ghost. Oh my god. Yeah, just stage dramatic it. scenes, scare people. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Where's the fun if not? It'll be like Beetlejuice. <laughs> like if I'm gonna be a ghost, let me have a little fun. Yeah. Uh, well, we get a little more story about these gold coins. So we've had like two things about the gold coins now. I'm like, who's leaving these gold coins and why do they turn into wood and also why do they disappear sometimes? I don't know if the boy's not describing it right or if this actually happened. Yeah, so yeah, he says that the coin turned into the piece of wood um, and then Nick is telling the story about his dad who has a gold coin that he found who put it in his jacket pocket and then it disappeared. Are they using them as like a, as a trick, as a tactic? Like, or do they accidentally drop them and then it's like a piece of... Maybe they put... Maybe they're traps. Maybe they set up the gold coins and then whoever grabs it is the victim. Mm. Because then he was a target. And then he gave the wood to his mom and then she was a target. Oh, shit. And then... And then, well, I don't know. That could have been a good plot line. If that's not the plot line, that would have been really cool. There's a couple things in this movie that I'm like, ooh... If they, they were like, expanded on yeah, it. yeah, they could have expanded on this this movie that's like eighty nine minutes long. Like they could have had like a little bit more um, creativity yes. when it came like, to. We need six lives. Yeah. We're gonna put out six gold coins, and whichever six people find the gold coin, yeah. are our winners to die. Ooh, tonight. yeah, something like that. Like there needed to be more reason why the people that get killed in this movie get killed, other than just circumstance. Like it's a free yeah. for all. It's a free for all. We're gonna attack the entire town, but we're only gonna kill six people. So then, um, that dead body falls out with no eyeballs, and we get an iconic scream from the scream queen herself, Jamie Lee. Given that, oh my god, iconic! Scream. It sounded like it was dubbed from Halloween when she yeah. fell down the stairs. Yeah, she's probably like, I don't want to scream. Just use that audio from the last movie. Oh, 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 oh. Exactly. Spot on. Let's get to the night that it all went to hell. Kathy tries to convince Father Malone to continue on with the benediction at the ceremony later, but he struggles to move past his new discovery. 
Stevie arrives to work at the lighthouse radio station with the plank Andy gave her. She sets the plank on top of the tape player and is distracted when the plank begins to seep water. The water spreads and causes the tape player to short. Suddenly, Blake's voice emerges from the tape player swearing revenge. The words, six must die, appear on the plank, and the plank bursts into flames. A shock, Stevie immediately extinguishes the fire. Afterwards, Stevie checks the plank only to find that it once again reads Dane. Stevie warns Andy to stay off the beach and to not leave the house. She reluctantly continues the broadcast as usual. Nick and Elizabeth take Baxter's body to the local coroner's office to be examined by Dr. Phoebus, played by Darwin Jostin. Phoebus, who is perplexed by the boy's advanced state of decomposition, takes Nick aside to ask him about the circumstances of the body's discovery and leaves Elizabeth alone in the autopsy room with Baxter's corpse. The body becomes momentarily reanimated by a ghost. It rises from the steel autopsy table, grabs a scalpel, and walks over to Elizabeth. As Baxter's corpse moves closer to Elizabeth, she screams and the body drops to the floor, lifeless once again. Elizabeth screams, bring Nick and Phoebus running back into the autopsy room, where they see that the corpse has scratched the number three into the floor with the scalpel. Okay, so at the beginning of this, we have, um, you know, Miss Kathy completely ignoring everything she just learned about uh, the history of uh, San or of almost at San Antonio, <laughs> Antonio Bay, <laughs> and she's like, "Yeah, well, whatever, not a big deal." She's like, "We're the celebration's still gonna happen," and she's like, "You come and yeah." Father. She's like, "So are you still gonna do your benediction tonight or what?" And he's like, "He says something, you know, wise or whatever," and yeah. then Sandy goes, "So is that a no?" <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, he's feeling guilty. She's not. Um, typical. She's exactly uh, like a real housewife, I swear. Yeah. She's like, okay, anyway. Yeah, like, whatever. whatever. That was a hundred years ago. Yeah, literally. Like, get, get over, over it. it. <laughs> <laughs> see, so, um, and then we ha- I like, I really like this scene. So this is when we see uh, Ms. Adrian Barbeau walk the million mile uh, steps <laughs> to her, to her office and she gets in there, and even when she gets in there, she has to walk up a spiral staircase. I was like, this job is just walking upstairs. Honestly, she probably is so skinny. Yeah, her ass is so high and tight. <laughs> yeah, and so her breasts. Yeah, just because. <laughs> um, just because. It's, but I really like this scene where she like puts the plank down, and then it starts seeping water. I was like, ooh, that's like spooky and like piratey you know like it starts seeping water and then it gets into the uh the water gets into the radio system and starts speaking to her oh my god this is like yes this is like and the, then it goes boof yeah it just like Burst explodes into flames. into flames this feels very like demonic <laughs> it feels very exorcist or something yeah the voice on the radio is sounding really demonic yeah i love it, it. and it almost brings like we were saying with the genre mixture here it almost does give sort of that demonic type of energy yeah, in this it, scene it does and then yeah then you look at the plank and it says six must die and then it goes back i was like ooh, that's it, it's just like a really well done scene i really like everything that happens in it it's like very it's very exciting i think and this is also the section where the zombie sort of thing comes into play oh yeah with it Nick and Elizabeth at the coroner's office with Dan, uh, Dick Baxter's body 
which becomes reanimated and starts walking toward. I thought it would have been cool to see like finally like a close up because his corpse looked yeah. pretty cool with the eyes well, missing. No, yeah, but we didn't really get to see it. It was very subtle. He kept it subtle. This, you know, it's very subtle. I think I feel like this is probably one of the scenes that he added to put in more horror elements mm. like mm-hmm. because it doesn't really tie into anything else in the movie yeah it's like oh so now our ghost rule is that they can possess dead bodies and then grab the scalpel it was because it, it had more agency than just like a zombie would like a zombie's just like Ugh. but like this one grabbed the scalpel specifically and then, knew what it was doing why didn't it kill her i don't know did he like slip and fall well she like or... she like screams so then he falls on the ground like, why didn't it just kill her? Add to the body count. He could have scraped four into the floor. I know, because she doesn't contribute much else to the movie. So, yeah. Might as well. It would have been nice. Or she should have at least gotten, like, stabbed in the arm or something. Yeah. And also, there's this discussion about the body having been. They feel like it's probably been underwater for, like, a month, but they oh, were yeah. like, there's no way. Like, they were alive yesterday. Yeah. So, how could that be? That is interesting. It's like. It's almost like the ring. It was like the same thing, you know? Like Yes. Like they they die but then they look bloated like they've been in a well for <laughs> in a well for seven a week days. For seven days. <laughs> yeah. But then I do yeah. like the I do like the warning of the three on the floor, but they're yeah. kind of confused by I'm like, wait, is this like three more people or is this three are already dead? Well, both because there's only six. Yeah, so, so I'm like, what are you warning me about? What's to come or what's already been? I guess it's the same thing. Um, <laughs> I think it's a, it is a creepy little scene, though, I will say. D- shot very well, just sort of out of place. It's, and like, I don't really know why it happened. Yeah, and it's more so for the audience to, to catch up. Like, okay, yeah. six must die and three are already dead. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, yeah, so you're like, it's like yeah, math. Here's like, a little reminder. You're like doing yeah. the math with them. We had six in the last scene. Three. Okay, three. So they all three of them are dead. Okay, yeah. Three people are dead. Who's next? <laughs> Let's find out. All right. The, the centennial, centennial celebration continues at Shelby Square. However, Kathy is informed about the discovery on the seagrass and that her husband, Al, is still missing. She pulls it together for the sake of the ceremony. <laughs> As a real hostess does. Nick calls into the radio station to talk to Stevie about the fog, who tells him about the wind anomaly and the fog's supernatural glow. I've been told that I have a supernatural glow as well. (laughs) Out of this world beauty. It's called fungus. (laughs) Fungus among us. Simultaneously, the mysterious fog begins to approach the town. Weatherman Dan calls Ooh. Weatherman Dan calls Stevie, who informs her that another fog bank is rapidly approaching his weather station. Stevie keeps Dan on the phone, concerned about the fog, but he leaves to investigate a light shining outside his window and a knock at the door. Dan is killed when he opens the door and one of the ghosts impales him through the throat with a hook. And Stevie listens in horror. Stevie pleads over the air for the sheriff to call her. However, the fog knocks out the power lines. The fog then destroys the power to the entire town, causing the centennial ceremony to end early. From the lighthouse, Stevie can see the fog approaching her house where Andy and his babysitter light candles in the blackout. She cranks her backup generator and begins her radio broadcast, begging for someone to get to her house and save her son when she sees the fog roll up to the house. Nick and Elizabeth hear this over Nick's truck radio and go to help. 
Back at Stevie's house, a strange knock comes at the door. The elderly babysitter goes to answer it and tells Andy to go to his room. When she opens the door, the ghosts come out of the fog and impale her on their swords and hooks. The ghosts then go after Andy, breaking through his bedroom door. Nick arrives just in time and takes Andy in his car. A minute of tension begins when Elizabeth, driving Nick's truck, attempts to flee with them, but she gets stuck in a road pothole, of course, as the (laughs) fog surrounds the truck and the ghosts slowly emerge toward them. At the last second, Elizabeth manages to free the truck from the pothole and drive in reverse, away from the ghosts and out of the fog. Oh my god. Okay, let me tell you something. As the power was going out in this town, Andre has this plant light that's on a timer and it casts this really like beautiful pink and purple light. Ooh. And as soon as the town's power went out in the movie, the light turned off. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. I thought I was in the experience. movie. <laughs> yes, it was, truly. I love that. Wow. Oh, my God. Well, this this fog has the ability to, like, destroy power lines and, and power plants and no explanation how, but I guess it, it just does. It's supernatural. Beyond our comprehension. I love the character of Kathy. I Me think she's too. my favorite character. She finds out that her husband is dead, and while she ought to go home, um, she decides to pull herself together because the chair lady can't be seen mourning the loss of her husband. And she yeah. has to go out there and celebrate the centennial celebration yeah, ceremony. Yeah, for, for the community. The people expect it. Yeah, the people want her to be at her best. And honestly, she's a glowing light of the community (laughs) absolutely I mean who else is going to renovate the cemetery (laughs) (laughs) yeah that cemetery needs some pizzazz okay this is one of my favorite moments where Stevie and Dan are talking on the phone to each other about the fog approaching and she's there's kind of like there are kind of like these comedic moments throughout this movie that are unintentional the first one being when they're on the ship and he goes, ain't no fog out there. There ain't no fog out there. There's a fog bank out there. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, like that yeah. kind of stuff. But then there's also something where she's con- trying to convince Dan that the fog is here. And, you yeah. know, and she's all, can't you see anything yet? And he's like, mm, no. And meanwhile, in the back of his office, in the background, you can see the fog just yes. like <laughs> billowing. <coming> in, <laughs> bill- <laughs> billowing. And he's like, I don't see anything. I don't see any fog. <laughs> I know these. You know what? These ghosts are very polite. They they do knock, which is very fun. That's <laughs> very funny. No knock. Yeah, knock. I'm like, do you have to invite them in? Are they like vampires? Yeah, they're like vampire ghosts, or maybe they like maybe they aren't able to go into your house. They have to kill you outside. I don't know because every single person that has died so far, which has been how many people? Three. He he opens the door and he gets killed at the door, but that happens several more times throughout the story so it's like you get killed at the door for some reason yeah i don't know what that's about i don't know if it's like you have to invite these pirate leper zombie ghosts in or i don't know but he opens the door and he's murdered he's like and we shish kebabbed so, so that makes four four people dead i know six. and and like she hears it all happen that um you know that's horrible for her I do kind of like the way the power lines come out altogether. Like, of course, it's just in time for the sheriff to call Stevie, and then the power line is just ripped out. It reminded me of Jurassic Park. Oh, yeah, and the whole town goes dark. Yeah, that's scary. You know, and, and that puts her in a, in a hard position because 
she can only communicate with people who have power, right? And which is like nobody. So she's a very, only people in their cars, right, can probably hear her. But also the scary part of this is that she's able to see where the fog is traveling because she's so high up that she then sees it going towards the house with her child in it. Ooh. And, but also I'm thinking, okay, we know what the movie's supposed to be about, but how does she know that there's something deadly in this fog? I know. She, she kind of believes it too, very quickly. I mean, everything that they believe in this movie all happens very quickly. You know, there's, there's not a lot, there's not a lot of time of being like, that's not possible. Ghosts aren't real. It's like ghosts are real. And they're in the fog. Yeah. Makes sense yes. to me. <laughs> but hey, she's on the right track. And she does end up saving her kid because Nick and Elizabeth hear her oh, yeah. cry for help. And they go and they get the son. Oh, but, but the old lady, the poor babysitter. Mrs. Corbett, yeah. the babysitter. She she got fucking murdered yeah, by she... these ghosts. But I really appreciate this scene because, you know, as we always talk about the kid being a part of the action, but I can't help but think that John Carpenter always includes kids uh, in these movies. And it makes me think that he puts the characters in there as kids as a way to acknowledge the horror movies that inspired him as a kid. You know, they're always watching those old ass fucking horror movies in these movies and you know he's kind of interested in the creepiness of the fog and yeah you know Miss Lindsay Wallace and Tommy Doyle and Halloween there and they got them old things on yeah so I I think I think of that especially you know because I bought the new Scream of course circling back to Scream (laughs) I think of that with the new crew of Scream you know and even the new crew of like the new Halloween movies about how they're making films that inspire them when they were younger like it all kind of started here with John Carpenter being able to see monster movies when he was younger and then applying them to his own work yeah I wonder if just like Rob Zombie I wonder if all these kids are representations of a young John Carpenter the curiosity I would think so yeah yes probably probably and Andy's probably no different and um, he kind of he has a kind of a scary moment where he's like trapped in his room and they start like breaking through the door. So obviously they can yeah. get into the house. Maybe they just need to kill somebody first before they get in the house. Yeah, because why are they knocking but then later knocking down doors? I know. And then we have, um, you know, Miss Jamie Lee having a fun moment where she's driving the car and it gets stuck conveniently, very conveniently. I know. Elizabeth honestly is a bad luck character. Like shitty things just happen to her. Yeah, don't keep her around. It happens to her wherever she goes. She's like, I want to go back to Vancouver. It's like, please, for all of our sake, go back to Vancouver. They should do a TV spinoff about this character just having bad luck horror things happening (laughs) to her on her travels through the California coast. Oh my god, yeah, that's the that's the movie we need, or that's the series we need. And the finale is the fog, but yeah. she actually dies in it. Oh my god, that's what, yeah, the creators of Bates Motel need to get on that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that would be so dumb. Yeah. Um, Alright, should we move on? All is right. this the last this of it? This is it, let's finish it. Sandy insists on taking Kathy home from the ceremony. In the car, they turn on the radio and hear Stevie repeatedly telling people to stay away from the fog as it is dangerous. When the fog appears, they drive away from it. Stevie informs that the old church is the safest location, so Kathy, Sandy, Nick, Elizabeth, and Andy arrive there where Father Malone still resides. They hide in a small back room. 
While they're in the room, Kathy and Father Malone find some of the stolen gold which has been melted into a cross. Blake's ghost and his crew begin to break into the room. The group are informed that the mysterious fog contains the vengeful ghosts of Blake and the Clippers crew who came back on the 100th anniversary of the shipwreck and the founding of the town to apparently take the lives of six people, symbolic substitutes for the six conspirators. Counting five victims already and knowing he is the offspring of the last conspirator, Father Malone decides to confront the ghosts with the golden cross in an attempt to sacrifice himself and save everyone else. The ghosts surround the church, and one attempts to drag Sandy out of the window by her hair. <laughs> I like that bar. <laughs> Back at the lighthouse, the fog closes in, and several of the ghosts attempt to attack Stevie. She climbs onto the roof of the ghost in hot pursuit, trapping her. The ghosts slowly close in on her and get ready to attack. One ghost nearly hooks Stevie, causing her to almost slide off the roof of the lighthouse. Back in the church, Father Malone presents the Golden Cross to the crew of ghosts. Blake's ghost grabs the golden cross. The golden cross begins to glow and the church rumbles as the light emanating from the cross becomes brighter and brighter. Only seconds before Blake's ghost and the cross disappear in a flash and a thunder, Nick manages to pull Father Malone away from the cross. With Blake's ghost, the other ghosts also suddenly disappear. At the lighthouse, Stevie gets down from the roof and makes it back to safety. The fog suddenly disappears and the townspeople are saved. Stevie begins her radio broadcast and warns most of the ships on the ocean to look across the water into the darkness for the fog. Later that night, when Father Malone is alone in the church, he asks himself, why not me, Blake? At that moment, the fog suddenly reappears inside the church, along with Blake and his crew. Blake swings his sword at Father Malone's head, decapitating him as the screen cuts to black. The end. I love the imagery of the figures in the fog at the church. Oh, yeah. I think that's where they look the best. Because you can see you can see more of them. There's like all of them yes. are there to party. And they kind of have like a good outline. Again, we never fully see what they look like, but I kind of like that. Like, I don't think we need to see fully what they looked like because it could kind of go into like a little probably cheesy territory. I mean, this movie only had a million dollar budget. And so it was a relatively yeah. low budge and so yeah you can kind of see it and honestly they spent most of their budget on the filming yeah uh, like the the camera and the cinematography and stuff um and then blake's eyes start glowing red so that's <laughs> when i'm like okay <laughs> let's reel it back <laughs> I know. just a bit but th- it feels a little cheesy but kind of classic in a way like a technique that they would use in like the 50s or something <laughs> Yes, very. It's It feels very that. That's why I always think of John Carpenter's work being heavily influenced by the movies that inspired yeah. him Cre- in the 50s Creature when he was younger. features. Yeah, for sure. Yes. Yeah. You know, um, Andre has come, become quite the little fear the talking queer as we've gone along this journey together <laughs> because he said, I think that this movie inspired the segment in Trick or Treat with the bus. Oh, for sure. Oh my God, I was like, Andre. yeah. Whoa. Yeah, I was like, good job, babe. Yes. Yeah, I was like, oh, totally. I can totally see that being a direct reference yeah. to Trick or Treat. Oh, for sure. The fog comes in and then the the ghosts appear. This is the same exact plot. For sure. Yeah, so all of our, our main characters are finally coming together in one spot, except for Miss Stevie, Miss Adrian Barbeau. She's stuck in that lighthouse. Um, which is, which I kind of like that she's in there because I think it's very scary. It's very isolated and 
you know, kind of claustrophobic. It is. Knowing that she... It's the one it's, place I would not want to be in this movie. Well, yeah. And, you know, we kind of joked about the stairs a lot. But also, that kind of adds to how scary it is. Because it's not easy for her to escape that place. You know? If yeah. something's coming after her and she has to run up a hundred steps, she's fucked. But, I mean, that person is also going to be very tired. But, like, still. It's not an easily escapable place. And I think that no. adds to, to the terror of her situation, especially when the fog yes. starts getting into the lighthouse and she's like standing there on the, on the spiral staircase. Ooh, I think that part is so yes. good. And yeah, it's scary, especially considering that I didn't realize the tension that was building where you have all of our main characters together in the church and then you also have Stevie in the lighthouse and you're watching it kind of wondering, okay, five people are dead. So who's going to be the sixth yeah. one? And you're kind of like waiting for someone else to die and you don't know who it's going to be. And I didn't even realize that. But now I'm like, that's really clever. Yeah. Having them kind of all separated in that way. Right. Exactly. And, you know, we have, when we've had those countdown moments, this six will die, three, and then, you know. Three. So. Then you count four, five. Yeah. yeah. So, so, yeah, exactly. So now which one of our characters is going to bite the dust? Um, I love how everybody else in the town seems to be pretty safe, though. They're like, they're fine. We don't need to attack them. But then they're cozy in their beds, yeah. not listening to Stevie. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. This is like, this is one of the things I wish they would have expanded on. Like, maybe are all these people and somehow connected to the ancestors or not? Or is it just Father Malone? Is that a factor why they killed any of these people before? Because he's like, well, it would have been I- clever to sort of describe that. Yeah, like to have them connected to the people from the past you know that yeah that were the conspirators because father malone takes it upon himself to sacrifice himself he's like well i'm the offspring of the of the sixth conspirator but it's like what does that have to do with anything is it just because of his guilt is it just his guilt is that why yeah it's sort of because they're so religious and righteous and they he he should have done the right thing but because he didn't his grandson will make up for the the sins of the past yeah and i this is like every horror movie trope anytime you have like a religious figure in your material they always are like this like They're wise like, sort of and like self-sacrificial like been on, yes like they've been on the earth for centuries and they know <laughs> what, exactly what needs to be done because then he brings out this big gold cross all their gold got melted into this giant gold cross but i thought that they use the gold to fund the town and make it and make the town prosperous but they also have I know they have that's spare how gold? they made it seem this is just spare gold they used to melt into a cross this enormous cross is spare gold that and also I'm like wouldn't it be heavier damn there must have been a lot of there gold there have been a lot of gold because this is a solid a solid gold cross and I'm solid like not gold. them stealing <laughs> not them stealing all this gold to make a cross. <laughs> that sounds like some bullshit evangelicals would do. Sorry, no offense out there. But yeah, like they would like, we need to put contribute some of this to the Lord. I know. We can go around and collect donations so that I can get a big old crucifix in my house. <laughs> Made of pure gold. You know, gold's my favorite color. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I wasn't buying it. I was like, okay. And then also, I'm like, are we supposed to believe that the ghosts are just looking for their gold and they want it back? Because they're dead. What the hell are they going to do with it? 
take it to hell? I mean, maybe it's just it's restitution. Is that the word? Retribution. Rest- um, it's it's like it's the principle of it all. <laughs> That's what it must right. be. You know, like I'm not gonna spend this gold in the afterlife, but at the end of the day, it was my gold to begin with, and the only way that I'm not gonna kill six people every hundred years is if you give it back. Can you imagine if there was more mythology behind it? They're like. Give me back my gold. I need to take it back to hell and give it to Satan in exchange for freedom. I mean, maybe that's it too. We just don't know. Maybe because then they then they come loose at the end. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. All of our characters, they're fighting for their lives, whatever. And Father Malone sacrifices himself, but is saved by Nick, who tackles him out of the way. You know, and then he's he's literally holding a cross, sacrificing himself for everybody else in the town. Is he supposed to be like a Christ-like figure? Yeah, Hal Holbrook. Yeah, is the second coming of Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and then Blake blows up our our big, you know, antagonist. Didn't really put up much of a fight. Blew up, and that was it. (laughs) And then all the ghosts went away. Yeah. We also had maggot face, which I thought was a really cool. Oh, I did like that because we don't get much of the ghosts, but then we get the one with the worms in his face. That is a good one. And yeah, you know, I I really like this whole scene with with Stevie in the lighthouse. I think of the attacks. I think this is really exciting. Like I said, when she's like standing there and seeing the fog come in, because at this point, I don't think she knows that there are murderous pirates in the fog. I think she just knows the fog is bad news. I like how she was like, should I make the trip of the 313 stairs back yeah. to my car? Or should I go up these 12 stairs probably to my death? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I would probably pick that too. Cause I hate stairs. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I'm not climbing up anything. I would have just died. Like, yeah. Oh well. Like whatever. Just kill me. Whatever. I'll be the sixth victim. Yeah. Whatevs. Yeah, but yeah, I, I like her scene. Her scene was one of the ones that were added for reshoots because they're like, we need more action. And so they added this whole lighthouse scene. <laughs> it's pretty seamless. But it's good. I think it works very well. I, yeah. I'm surprised that it wasn't there in the first place. Like, what was she doing otherwise? I know. This movie must have been bad yeah. and boring. I don't know. Not sure. Yeah, it must have felt inc- incomplete. Like, where's the action? Where, where's the... Where's the motivation? Where's the, you know? And I'm sure that they added this final scare, which is the Father oh. Malone getting his. I mean, yeah. I kind of like it. I do too. I think it's good. Yeah, the sixth conspirator, you know. Yeah, I love their, like. The descendant, of yeah. course. Finish it off. It's kind of like what we talked about with. Um, I forget which movie it was, but it was like, you know, this, this idea that people know. That we're a- they're so easily able to figure out the rules of what a ghost, you know, can it like their motivation or the rules of them are right. And so it's like if I give yeah. him this gold, they're gonna disappear forever. Well, the fact that it's like yeah, I got the gold and I blew <laughs> up or whatever, but I'm still here. And I can still kill you. Why did you think that you saved yourself? Yeah, seriously. Like I said, six people must die. But thanks for my gold back. Yeah, did I stutter, bitch? <laughs> Yeah, I said a dollar, bitch. <laughs> yeah, like, what, why would you presume that you, uh, that this was over? <laughs> just because you said it was. It's a good point, yeah. Just because this is what you thought, <laughs> yeah. you thought wrong, bitch. And now you're going to die. Yeah, I said six. You, you seemed like a willing participant earlier, so off with your head. <laughs> Serves him right. 
you know, for being born into that. Yeah, for being born. Family. <laughs> yeah. Serves, <laughs> serves you right for being born. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that does it. The fog is cleared. The fog has lifted. We made it to the end of the it. I don't know if that was our most insightful episode, but it's definitely fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a fun episode. I think we brought up uh, the clear commentary of it all, which is that this is, uh, you know, about corrupt America and the ghosts it's left behind in its bloody trail. Absolutely. Exactly. You can't erase the sins of the past because they will always come back to haunt you. This was a great suggestion from you, Jake, to Wait. do this movie. So why don't you give us your final thoughts? All right. Well, honestly, I really enjoy this movie. I think it's very good. I think it's very atmospheric. It's simple yes. as all hell. You know, there's not much the lore. We don't learn too much. But I think for what it is, I really enjoy it. I think it's probably one of my favorite Carpenter films that I can think of. I mm. think that it is... Um, I like that the spooky atmosphere. I like the ghost story aspect of it with a little bit of slasher mixed in. I love the cast. Um, I think the cast is great. Um, I think the score is amazing and so unset- like unsettling. Um, I don't know. I really like it. And uh, I think the fog idea is super original. I don't think we've had anything really quite like it since then, other than maybe the mist, but or trigger, oh, yeah. trigger treat, you know, but um, I really like it. So for me, this is a solid, solid, above average film. Um, so I'm gonna give it four out of five. Nice, ditto. Yeah, I think this movie is great. I love the atmosphere. It feels very much like John Carpenter. It does feel like a continuation of Halloween almost. I love the amount of horror royalty that's included in this. The cinematography is great. John Carpenter's direction is fantastic. Um, I think the characters are well fleshed out. I think everything they added to this movie to make it better. This is how you do it. When you go back and do reshoots, seamlessly putting them into the storyline like this, I think works tremendously well. Um, so people need to look to the past in order to create the movies of the future. Absolutely. Honestly. Do you know this movie was originally supposed to be an anthology? Like that was one of their ideas was to have it like <laughs> they always want to do a good old anthology. I know they did. I think that was a big thing back then. But like they wanted to do an anthology where it was different stories, obviously, but the fog like facilitated something. There was something new in the fog the every horror. time. And then they yeah. they try to get that made for a while and it didn't happen. And then they ended up uh, with the remake <laughs> instead. 4%. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, 4% Rotten Tomatoes. Certified rotten. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the cons of it, I would say, would be the Nick and Elizabeth storyline. I don't know that it's yeah. the most convincing it's not compelling. of all the storylines. It's like not yeah, convincing. It's, not... it's sort of forced. I would say I don't. I, yeah, I don't think, it is very. I don't forced. think they have much chemistry, and I think it's kind of awkward watching them together. No, yeah, it's kind of it, it's awkward and it's uh, gross. So, <laughs> <laughs> and, and and sometimes the movie feels a little slow as as far as like the build up, but I think it does help build the tension, the mystery, the atmosphere. So I'm not gonna dog it for that. But for the Nick and Elizabeth thing, I'm gonna give this also a four out of five. Nice. Woo! All right! Yay! What a classic. Well, honestly, now that the fog isn't covering the roads, we need to get back into our cars and drive back down south 
to Mulholland Drive. Oh, shit. Oh, my God. I'm very excited. I know. This is like California horror. Two weeks in a row. Yes. We finally moved on for the from the exploitation. We had three yeah. weeks of exploitation films. Now we're on to California Cruising. Love it. Yes. Next, we're doing a movie that I'm terrified to do, which is David Lynch's Mulholland Drive. <laughs> Honestly, you are challenging me because We're challenging I also ourselves. have never seen Mulholland Drive. I'm going to have to send you all the things I've watched on it to try to make sense of what the hell that movie is. <laughs> because it's it's a, all about. Yes, because David Lynch is, it's very absurdist. It's very just mm-hmm. his, his particular style. And there's so many ways you can interpret it. And so maybe that's what it's going to be. It's going to be our version of it. Maybe not. The one that everybody thinks, but it's going to be our version yes. of what Mulholland Drive is about. Yes, the discovery of FTTQ on Mulholland Drive. Yes, yes absolutely. All right, well, get ready for that. Um, I hope you make it through the fog, y'all, to get home nice and safely. So, wait, we didn't even plug yes. our social media. What the fuck is wrong with me? I thought you were leading into that. I thought you were going to be like, but go ahead and follow us oh on Instagram at Fear the Talking Queers. Well, go ahead and follow us on Instagram at Fear the Talking Queers. <laughs> so shoot us a message. Shoot us a comment. Shoot us a like. Um, don't forget to uh, rate us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Um, you know, the more ratings we get, the more people will be listening, which means the more episodes you will be getting. And let's be honest, Jake and I... We're never satisfied with the amount of attention we're getting. (laughs) (laughs) We have an insatiable appetite for attention. While you're on our Instagram, click the link in our bio. It's flow.page slash fear the talking queers. We can find the links of all the places you can listen to us and also how you can donate via anchor.fm or via Good Pods, the new podcasting app to listen to all your favorite podcasts, which includes fear the talking queers yes 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 okay oh also head over to apple Podcasts and leave us a review i want to hear in your words what you think of us yeah they're so stupid but i love it yeah five out of five (laughs) (laughs) all right everybody um sweet screams bitch bye